0: Hello, the internet. The following story takes place in the 26th century, seven or eight hundred years after the events of the short story Malachi's Gambit, in my first short story anthology, and about 1,300 years before the events of the final fall of man. It is centred around a Blarin thief and escape artist who would one day become a criminal folk hero named Grendel's Grief. Part 12 He parted ways with Mr Munro a little awkwardly. Hubosh was clearly annoyed at the disappearance of one of the pups and what it meant for his own contract, and was suspicious of Grief. "'Send a departure schedule request for a few days from now,' he instructed, "'and book a couple of recreational engagements in the meantime. "'We'll arrange a modest goodwill allowance for you, not that you need it.' The scaly Blarin gave a rather forced smile that Grief tried not to interpret as a display of his toxic weaponry. You're a bit of an X-Weekstown darling, after all. They might be watching the ports for anyone trying to make a run for it, Grief agreed. Hubosh grunted. Amateurs, I doubt that Chris is about to explode in outrage over this. They'll keep it quiet, cover it up, just like they do every time something uncomfortable happens with the big girls. But if there is any sort of investigation, it'll focus on X-Weekstown because that's how the cats work. And any investigation in X-Weekstown will focus on and trying to leave X-Weekstown in a hurry, because they expect us to be as stupid as them. I suppose you're not going anywhere. Hubos shook his head. Wait for me to contact you. Once you've set a departure window for yourself, I'll consult with our friend in Mupaska and see what she thinks of your performance. He said this with just enough emphasis to tell Grief that his associate wasn't talking about the security infiltration. Or maybe he was just being paranoid. Grief returned to the Lil' Neb, expecting all the while to be intercepted, denounced, or maybe just pounced upon by the venomous Blarin assassin and given a nasty biting. None of these things happened and he logged himself into the Chrysanthemum's traffic system and set a departure time for himself. Maggie slotted him in without any sign of suspicion. Not that he supposed he'd be able to tell what a suspicious synth sounded like. Some kind of news must have spread involving the pups, he thought. The Aki fan network was ominously quiet, and so were the authorities. But somebody knew that nine of the eleven pups had been killed with poison, and that one pup was missing, and that the killer-slash-kidnapper had accessed the habitat by breaching security and that somebody was currently deciding what to do about it. Any investigation would definitely focus on the ducts, Grief thought. They might be as amateur as Hubosh thought, but they couldn't be that bad, and that meant they would find the pup. He briefly considered that this might be the optimal outcome anyway, but if they found her with his own personal augment tech wrapped around her, he was dead at best. He could send a remote signal that would render the entire dermal sheath, manipulator and power cell inert and reduce most of it to flakes of waste composite, but he wasn't sure how long the pup would survive if he did that. Again, maybe that was optimal, but he'd made the stupid decision to save the thing's life, and letting her die now seemed pointless. Furthermore, if her body was found slowly thawing out at the far end of the duct he'd used, that would definitely alert Mr Monroe and his employer that grief had critically messed up his role. No, his only option was to venture back into a potentially locked-down crime scene, find an alternate route to the junction where he'd stash the dermis-clad pup, and recover her in good order. He actually managed this without encountering any investigators or drones, or falling afoul of Maggie. Maybe the Maganat Cluster's security forces were as bad as Hubosh thought. Once he'd gotten her to the Neb, and had rigged up a little refrigerated compartment for her, Grief took a moment to ease himself to the ship deck and have a 13 second panic attack before rebuilding his equilibrium from the ground up. "'Right,' he said. He swiveled around and sat, facing the little creature as she growled and battered at the transparent plating between the main cargo hold and the habitat he'd built. Right. The Yacky Grief had already decided to call her Sprinkles after a recurring make-believe critter his sister had sculpted when they were children, each and every time their region of Nebuchadnezzar was graced with snowfall, looked up at him and made a high, completely adorable grrmp sound. She reached up and planted a fist on the clear plating in a half-hearted punch. If you're not a day-old pup, and are in fact a million-year-old reincarnated troublemaker from days of yore, now would be a perfect time to give me some sign of that, Grief told her. Some sign you know what's going on. Ideally, some sign that you can understand a damn word I'm saying. Sprinkles did not respond immediately, although her growling and flailing ceased. She stood on stumpy legs and fuzzy fists, tilting her frost-caked head and looking at him one-eyed the way she had at the crash. He'd considered knocking her out until they were away from magnet Cluster and safely at relative speed. Grief had heard that Aki Dreadnath's telepathy was somehow muted at relative speed, or at least that it put the travelling Aki's out of contact with their sisters in the Luminal universe. But he didn't know if any of that was true, and if it was true, it was too late for him to escape into the grey anyway, since she was definitely already in contact with the rest of her kind. And sooner or later, he'd need to come out of the grey. And where was he supposed to go? Back to the feverish grey butter and Terry the Adluminal? Terry would be thrilled. Getting into Pochain territory unremarked would be made so much easier with the addition of a juvenile Acky So he sat and waited, wishing he had a pup-sized Acky Dreadnath transcriber glove. Of course, it would have been very difficult to explain a request for one, and he wasn't convinced Sprinkles could have used it. The pause stretched out, Sprinkles turning her head from side to side and watching Grief. Grief watching the pup and wondering how to communicate with an Aki Dreadnath that was either one day or untold millennia old, and in either case had no experience talking to Blarin. He continued to not get himself brain-nuked by Aki Dreadnath, Dreadnath, or the Dreamer, or boarded by Maganat Cluster Security, or the Jiraki Domestics, or Mr. Munro. He took all of these things as good signs. All right, he said. How about some food? A growing girl needs food, right? And you haven't eaten since you broke out of that habitat in Maganac. The fan underground had actually proven useful in providing information and even printer data for the acu diet. It wasn't controlled information, especially since it was the duty of every loyal citizen of the six species to be able to lay on a feast for any acu they happened to meet. Pups were a little more complicated due to the legendary reticence of the species but they apparently ate a special form of ice with complex fats and proteins somehow embedded in its crystal lattice. This was naturally occurring in the great ice, unless you believe the wide-eyed stories of the true fanatics, who said that the vast old minds of the Dreadnath primeval actually it into the ice somehow. Either way, it was easy enough to fabricate, so he stood and went to the printer and ran off several large misshapen chunks. Sprinkles was very attentive as he came back into line of sight with all four hands laden with grainy, cold steaming ice. It would have burned his hands if it went for the thermal sheathing in his dermis. "'Nerf!' Sprinkles said brightly. "'Oh, you know what this is, then,' Grief grumbled good-naturedly. He opened the compartment and dropped the ice in, then sealed it up again. "'Enjoy!' Sprinkles bounded over and scooped up a chunk of the nutrient-rich ice, stuffing it in her toothless grey mouth and grinding it easily with her gums. She froze, furry upper lip wrinkling, and fixed Grief with a comically accusing look. "'Gack!' she opined chewing the ice more slowly. Grief laughed. I'm very sorry, your highness, he said, and gave her an elaborate bow. The molecules are all there, but they're yet to build a printer with a like-mother-used-to-make setting. Unable to decide what to do about sprinkles, and in the absence of helpful hints from the pup herself, Grief left her grumbling and choking down her printed rations, and returned to his control cocoon. Until further notice, he decided, he would focus on the information the Edluminal had wanted, and which he may need to acquire for himself. He had very little to go on, except what the dreamer had said. The Adluminal want me to share my knowledge of the human cultural consciousness experiments. And the few vague things Hubosch had said about it while they were waiting for Sprinkles and her sisters to be born. So he could start there. This was at once excitingly risky and deathly boring. The cultural, social and political history of Aquilar was as interesting as any human-dominant settlement, but as predictable and ultimately depressing as any human-dominant settlement too. Tribes and dynasties, religions and purges, rebellions and propaganda and censorship and cover-ups and wars and genocides. After a while it all just melted together into a nasty, squalid background. And meanwhile the monkeys were monkeys. To be fair, Grief was sure the sociocultural history of the Blyron looked much the same to the humans. And the less said about the lethally dull 30-odd thousand years of the Molren fleet story, the better. Everything of even slight interest to have happened to the Molran species had involved non-Molren doing interesting shit while the Molren tried to stop them. That was just the way Molren liked it. Aquila, for all its similarities with other human civilizations, had been relatively peaceful since the Zhraki Reformation. The Wild Empire had ended with the founding of the Zhraq Dome, and although, yes, this simple statement covered up just a fucking ton of massacres and destruction of art and literature and historical records, things had stabilized. Grief's mother had always said that the branding of the Six Species should have been the image of a bloody broom leaning up against a rug barely covering a pile of dismembered body parts. But still, the Six Species had taken its first tottering steps and have been steadily improving ever since. And when you looked at it that way, it was pretty easy to see the cold hands of the sour cats at work. Humans left their own devices would never do anything this harmonious. Humans left their own devices, took the devices apart and rebuilt them into weapons, generally speaking. It was at this point Grief's study of dull as theocratic Aquilar became risky and just a little thrilling, because you could read and watch all the historical data you liked, but as soon as you tried to take a peek behind the scenery, you were going to get noticed by the black-clad stagehands. Grief wasn't educated for this sort of guerrilla research, and knew that sooner or later he'd get caught. Making things even more difficult was the fact that the Dreamer knew what he was looking for even if he didn't, and with the Dreamer out of contact and Hubosh maintaining a secure communications blackout until Grief's departure, Grief had no idea whether she would be aware of his attempts to dig out the information. If she caught him in the act, she would know he was expecting her to refuse to share with him, which would prove that he'd been involved in the failure of the mission. It was intolerable. It was quite a relief, frankly, when Grief's departure window approached and he received an anonymous message from Exwig's town General Comms. He ran it through the Lil'Nebs electronic quarantine. He'd installed the system just in case he ever needed to deal with Ferganak, so it was extremely robust and adaptable. And the report came back clean. He opened the message and was unsurprised to see another crisp and specifically shaped icon similar to the last one Hubosh had handed him on a card. Similar, but not the same. The dreamer wanted to talk to him. This was a relief because it was a severe divergence from their agreement. It also almost certainly meant she knew he'd been responsible for tanking her plans. Podcasting service provided by Anchor. Introductory music provided by Anchor. It was called House of Grendel, so I had to use it. You can find all of my books on Amazon under the name Andrew Hindle. And you can find the blog that this whole podcast came from at www.hatboy.blog. Original music composed by Oliver St. John, with a little bit of help from various Strausses. That's it. That's the credits.